0: Part 1 of A Brief History of the Order of Dionysus and Paul by Alan Armstrong You will note that the pathway that I am about to describe is chronological in that there is necessarily a given timeline, following the pageant of key events that have shaped the order. But it is also a story of rebirth, that exists simultaneously outside and within space-time. It exists outside of space-time in that it concerns the invisible development and emergence of a spiritual essence taking place within the heart and mind of the Order. Yet it clearly exists within space-time as described in the Order's record of that emergence, not all of which is comfortable. With hindsight, it is possible to see that what has happened to the Order over the years needed to happen, that there were no accidents or mishaps, only opportunities to grow and to learn. Comfort, then, is a matter of perspective. Our civilization has been subject to a thousand year rule of logic and a four hundred year rule of reason, the benefits of which need not be discussed here. However, as I write, the world is clearly in deep trouble because the lessons we need to learn concerning self control, tolerance, patience, kindness, sharing land and financial reform etc although identified by logic and reason are not issues they are designed to deal with. They are spiritual problems requiring spiritual remedies that are not readily found within the parameters of the rational world. Religion has been the traditional means by which we are able to find the answers to such problems. Unfortunately It too has succumbed to the force majeure of logic and reason. Arguably, since the turn of the 18th century, reason, rather than inspiration, has been the primary method of acquiring insight into the mysteries of religion. This is a problem the world over, because reason, at best, can only explain the world it knows, and frequently fails to do even that. In truth, the more rational religion has become, the more impotent it has grown. By comparison, those religions that are by definition non-rational have thrived. The primitive church has been shown a pathway by the Lord that led its people from the bestial state that they had been born into towards a state of spiritual enlightenment. These two states are described as the first and second Adam. See 1 Corinthians 15:31 31-51. In the first three centuries, catechumens were taught to walk this pathway before they were baptised. The path may have been mysterious, but it was nonetheless a real, present and personal experience. After Constantine, the Church slowly lost sight of this precious jewel and by the end of the first millennium started to rely more on logic than inspiration. The result is there for all to see a divided church depending primarily upon reason to educate its flock, yet relying upon a literal interpretation of countless reasonable versions of the Scriptures to show them the way forward. The Order of Dionysus and Paul, otherwise known as the ODP, makes no claim to perfection, for after all that may be said and done, the notion of achieving human perfection is generally speaking little more than an unachievable ideal in this world. However, spiritual perfection, embodied in our exemplar the Lord Jesus Christ, is another matter, concerning which the members of the Order follow the path to the best of their ability. This brief history of the ODP is not only about its emergence and evolution in this world, but also, and more importantly, It's about the path and how it goes before the order as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Those who know of what I speak will know that I speak openly and truthfully. In the words of Meister Eckhart, there is an agent in my soul which is perfectly sensitive to God. And I am sure of this as I am sure I am alive. A quotation from Sermon 6. When did the order of Dionysus and Paul begin? It's an intriguing question that I've often thought about over the years. When I asked my teacher, Mar Francis, about its beginnings, he seemed at the time to be enigmatic. I thought he was just being playfully vague about its origins. But as I grew in the work, I began to see that the question was far more complex than I imagined. To understand the answer really means understanding what the order of Dionysus and Paul is, and when you have done that, Then more than one answer comes to mind. For example, the Order of Dionysus and Paul is a vehicle of the Holy Spirit that changes its form from time to time, but never changes its work, which is the redemption of the soul of humanity. Another answer is it is an initiatory order that enables people who are ready to evolve spiritually, or it is a vehicle for developing an esoteric understanding of mankind the universe and of God, or it is a religious order within the Holy Celtic Church. All of these may be true, yet in some ways they are incomplete. Finally, the order of Dionysus and Paul is a precious flower in the jungle of life. Purple prose, perhaps, but it is true, and I shall try to explain what I mean by it. According to some, we are born, we suffer, and we die. A grim, even hopeless perspective, yet it is true in a limited sort of way. It is a materialistic answer to the purpose of life, which clearly tells us nothing about the purpose from a spiritual perspective. On these terms, the only benefits acquired from life are by using our minds to master creation and our hearts to explore what we call love. In these two fields we spend most, if not all, of our lives as both slave and master. We are slaves to our appetites, our dreams, our desires, our aspirations, and we are also the master of the same, or at least we could be, if we were able to control our appetites, dreams, desires and aspirations, a glorious ambition that many seek but few ever achieve, and it is the purpose of the Order to unite these modes into a whole and to sublimate their activity. Why, you may ask? Well, We appear to consist of two contrary natures. One is a good guy and the other is not. One is reliable and trustworthy, who will get up in the morning and go to work. The other is unreliable, untrustworthy, and will not get up and go to work if at all possible. One is selfish, the other is generous. One is peaceful, the other is aggressive, with survival at the highest level possible appearing to be the prime objective, and we never really know which one will dominate the day. From the earliest times, these two parts of human nature have been recognised and incorporated into the fabric and structure of society. Some of the earliest written materials known to civilization have dealt with them in ways that we can understand today. From the Epic of Gilgamesh to the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads, from the Pyramid Texts of Ancient Egypt to the Eda of the Teuton, from Genesis in the first book of the Bible to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Indeed, wherever we look we find the dual natures of man described and invariably they are described in conflict. How these two natures interact is the stuff of religion, myth and legend and we could discuss different views about them forever. But our purpose is to look at the question when did the order of Dionysus and Paul begin? If the order is a vehicle for the Holy Spirit to redeem the soul of mankind, then we could say without stretching the point too far that it began when we were ejected from paradise. But that doesn't really answer the question, does it? If we think of the order as a unique entity, then we are entitled to think of it having a unique beginning, and 1948 is as good a time as any. If we think of the order as a manifestation of a spiritual need, fermenting within the soul of mankind, then we can see it having many beginnings that are determined either by culture, location or creed. On these terms, the order is a phenomenon that emerges wherever and whenever the time is right, responding to those souls emerging from the cocoon of mortal life in need of guidance. What strings an order together, as on a golden chain, is tradition, and the tradition of the order stretches from beyond ancient Egypt through the Greco-Roman world down to our own time. As such, it nurtures those who are hungry for a truth bigger than creed or philosophy. No person or culture has a monopoly on truth or upon God, but every culture has a way of expressing itself and its spirituality within a set of parameters, not just in the big picture, but in the detail. There are, of course, orders in other cultures that speak the same truths, yet use different parameters. This is right and proper, just as the order of Dionysus and Paul today is right for its time and place. What seems appropriate right now was in all probability inappropriate yesterday and may not be appropriate tomorrow. The form changes according to circumstances. The energies will take upon themselves different emphases, but the essence will remain the same, the evolution and maturation of the soul. Ritual is without doubt important in such orders, yet without a context and a change in habitus, the rituals will be almost meaningless. On that note, what the order was before 1939 gradually lost its context after 1945. As the context changed, so the habitus changed, and so the order needed to change. Thus, new shoots began to emerge, and in the form of a new shoot, the earliest written evidence concerning the beginnings of the Order of Dionysus and Paul is dated 1948. It is a notice, presumably penned by Dennis Green, the signatory, and states On Monday, the 19th of July, 1948, the idea of forming a psycho spiritual healing group was put to the members of the meditation group who had been meeting at the Bristol Quest Club for over a year. A brief summary of the work and ideals involved had been prepared for them to read, and they agreed unanimously that it was a splendid idea. Two members mentioned that they had been feeling for some time that the meditation group might do some such work, although nothing definite had formed in their minds. Each contributed some money to be used for advertising, etc., and this was collected by Mr. Jones as treasurer for the meditation group. It was agreed to break away from the Quest Club and to hold further meetings at 2 at Low Road. Signed, the Reverend Dr. Dennis Green. From this notice, I conclude that there was a group of people who had met for meditation at the Bristol Quest Club. How many were in this group will probably remain unknown, although it is unlikely to have been more than a dozen or so, and it is possible, even probable, that some of its members, other than Dennis, also belonged to the Hermes Temple of the Stella Mechatina. The notice declares that they had met at the Bristol Quest Club for more than a year. This requires a little guesswork, as the dates are imprecise. However, the notice does imply a probable beginning in the spring of 1947, which does make sense in that the Second World War ended in September 1945 and the country would have taken some time to return to order, and because people would have also taken time to return home from where they had been stationed. Thus 1947 seems a good time for new beginnings. The idea of forming a psycho-spiritual healing group was proposed. This becomes significant when we bear in mind that after six years of atrocious warfare, there were many, many people who were damaged physically, emotionally and mentally. I believe it is possible that Dennis and his fellows were looking to contribute to the restoration of health of the many who were damaged by the war. The notice also declared that the group should break away from the Quest Club. Why? This is an interesting question. Perhaps the costs were too high. The truth is, I don't know, and I'm yet unable to answer the question. But break away they did. Future meetings were agreed to be held at number two at Low Road. Again, the question arises, why? This clause is connected with the previous one, and is just as puzzling. Why move at all? In all probability, the answer is as simple as cost and opportunity. One thing is sure... As this publication will demonstrate, the order of Dionysus and Paul did not emerge quickly. It grew slowly and quietly, evolving over the course of time. Yet like all new shoots, it has remained consistent with its objective. And I will do my best to explain that process. I have chosen to begin with the Stella Macertina, which was a magical order dedicated to the dissemination of the traditional teachings of its predecessor, the Emetic Order of the Golden Dawn. However, we should be mindful that what we term magical order, meant at the turn of the century, is not necessarily what it means today, more than 100 years later. For most people, magic was the study of the esoteric and symbolic dimensions of religion. This inevitably meant not just the Christian religion, Although it was a favourite at the time, it also meant the study of comparative religion and the study of Rosicrucianism, which involved alchemical and cabalistic studies, especially with regards to healing. The Golden Dawn had fragmented in 1900, when most of the London adepts rejected the autocratic rule of Samuel MacGregor Mathers, the then head of the order, with the result that the Golden Dawn divided into two new groups. Those who remained loyal to Mathers, among them E. W. Burridge and the late John Williams Innes took on the name Alpha and Omega, whilst the larger group, including such members as Dr. Robert Falcon, A. E. Waite, the Reverend W. A. Ayton, and W. B. Yates, continued as the Golden Dawn. In 1901, in order to avoid public derision, Following the scandal of the Horus Affair, they referred to the order by the name Morganroth, which translates as Morning Light. Concerning which, I would refer you to R. A. Gilbert's The Golden Dawn Scrapbook, The Rise and Fall of a Magical Order, that was printed in 1997. See pages 7 to 20. Two years later, the order split again. A. E. Waite took over the remnants of the Isis-Urania Temple, and formed the independent and rectified rite of the Golden Dawn, eventually dissolving it and founding the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. Those members who preferred a more magical path followed Dr. Falcon into his Order of the Stella Mecetina, which was dedicated to propagating and expanding the traditional teachings of the original Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Nevertheless, it is important to understand that at that time all the members had a deep interest in the esoteric expression of many kinds of spirituality. Most of the members were Christians with a deep interest in the esoteric expressions of Christian spirituality, exploring the esoteric understanding of the ancient church that for centuries had been understood to lie at the heart of Christianity. It is also interesting to note that the Stella Magitina included a significant number of clergy among its members. That such a tradition exists had been accepted and written about by many over the centuries, and today many still do accept the possibility sufficiently enough to go in search of it. However, what the tradition looked like was then, as it is now, a matter of intense debate. It has many aspects that can be realised outside of the formal parameters of the Church, For example, it may be defined in alchemical, cabalistic, and magical terms, to name but a few. Good, bad or indifferent, these are emotive terms that divide our society. For many, they are described in the words of Dr. R.A. Gilbert as rejected knowledge, whereas for others, they are stepping stones that lead to enlightenment. Every man and woman taking the path starts from a cultural base, a habitus, that has many forms, not all of which are normal and not all fit into the categories that are easy for others to understand. We should therefore not be surprised that a member of a nematic order or an alchemical society is interested in Christian spirituality. Many who joined the Stella Matutina arguably joined because the Church was unable to answer their questions or was unready to engage with the subject matter. Whereas the Stella Macitina was not only prepared, but was also willing to do so. However, in truth, it too lost itself among the many forms its members encountered. Whatever the merits and demerits of the post-Victorian era, two world wars, in a short space of time, rocked the foundations of a civilization that had been absolutely sure of its purpose and destiny, and in 1945 it needed to redefine itself. Clearly magic, alchemy, and the Kabbalah were not the answer, but then again neither is the fashionable cult of reason. Magic, alchemy, and Kabbalah are merely expressions of the human will seeking to deal with what it thinks it sees but does not understand. They are forms of cognitive dissonance, relying on precepts and formula to cover a lack of knowing, whereas reason seems more likely to destroy our world and save it. Neither approach is sufficient. Both have their uses, but neither provide clear answers to the main questions of life, such as land and monetary reform, disease, famine, war, population control and slavery. A fusion of the two might provide the answers mankind seeks. But that may also be an assumption too far. Bearing this in mind, we can understand why, in the aftermath of a second great war, within 25 years, humanity needed to redefine itself. And here we draw part one of a brief history of the Order of Dionysus and Paul to a close. Thank you.